0: So we very much appreciate the staff here that have taken such good care of us this last uh, day and a half anyway, and uh, Jay in particular, who has fed us quite abundantly to the point where I'm struggling to be hungry each time, but the, uh, the food set before us is always so good that I find a way. So regardless of the outcome of anything else on this trip, I think I will put on a few pounds, so... That's at least something to remember there. So I want to talk to you today, I want to tell you what I believe is the foundation of the Christian faith. And I want to share it as, as my conviction. Now, there is a second agenda there. I would very much like for it to be yours as well. But I'm going to approach this from the standpoint of talking to you about what I believe, what is at the foundational level. But before we do that, let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray for your spirit. Speak to us through your word, enlighten our minds, open our hearts, and convict us. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to go to uh, Matthew chapter 16, and we will start with the text you heard today. Now, I intended originally to uh, use my NIV Bible, and then I looked and I realized I had packed my new King James. So we're doing new King James today. Uh, Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 13, and these are the words you just heard. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Now, it seems an innocuous enough question, doesn't it? Jesus has been with the disciples for a little while. They've been traveling around. They've been doing lots of things. And he just kind of throws this question out there. Who do people say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they answered, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Kind of interesting, the answers they give, isn't it? As people were attempting to come to terms with this Jesus, who he was, what he was all about, the things he was doing, the the things they come up with are kind of interesting. Well, he he must be John the Baptist again. Well, that's kind of strange. Uh, Apparently, the way we know the story, not everybody knew the story at the same time, and uh, how... Maybe John had come back to life or whatever it was, there wasn't that clarity. Or some say Elijah, that's interesting. You have the the prophecy in Malachi that talks about the coming of Elijah uh, before the great and terrible day of the Lord. Uh, others say Jeremiah, that's an interesting one to me. I don't know why in the world they would think he was Jeremiah. I don't know that we have anything saying Jeremiah was going to show up again, but... But apparently that was going around, or one of the prophets. So Jesus receives this from him, and then he says, then it it really gets personal. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? And that's worth pausing for a moment here and, and realizing that there's the reality of Of who everybody else says Jesus is. Who the world says Jesus is. And then there's the reality of who do you say Jesus is. Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Okay, so what's he saying in this answer? You are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the one that the scriptures prophesy will come as the king of Israel. That's a big statement. You are the Messiah, but he goes further, doesn't he? And in fact, he goes even further than some of the expectation of who the Messiah would be. You are the Messiah, you are the one scripture prophesies, but you are also the son of God. That doesn't sound like that big of a statement to us because we're used to that construct. But this is a huge thing he's saying here. Now, listen to what Jesus says in in response. Verse 17. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon bar Jonah, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So I want to stop right there for just a second. Have you ever thought that if only you had been able to travel around with Jesus, it would have been obvious to you that he was the Messiah and the Son of God? I mean, you kind of feel like, okay, it's a little harder for us because Jesus isn't here right now. We're not going around with him. But do you notice what Jesus said to Simon? He said, Blessed are you, Simon son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. So what does this mean? This means that no one had enough authority to come and tell Simon, this guy Jesus is the Messiah, the son of God. Now somebody could tell him that, but they couldn't make him believe it, could they? Because there's nothing you could do to prove it. How do you prove that a man Jesus is the Messiah and the Son of God how do you prove it and I want to go another step with that Simon didn't figure it out he didn't figure it out because he'd been hanging around Jesus and he's like wow this is amazing I can tell by what you're doing that you're the Messiah the Son of God it's not that simple You see, even Simon, who was with Jesus, it says, blessed are you, for this has not been revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father who is in heaven. So here's the clear implication of this statement of Jesus. Anytime anyone comes to that conviction that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, it is a divine miracle from God. Because even Peter couldn't have figured it out on his own. So anytime anyone comes to faith in Jesus, it is a divine miracle from God. And there is nothing you can do or say that can prove that reality. Now, what are the implications here? The implications here are, without the presence of the Holy Spirit to convict the hearts of individuals, there's no such thing as evangelism. Now, maybe I can make strong arguments and try to convince you of something. And maybe eventually you'll say, okay, whatever. Just stop talking. But I haven't changed anybody's life, have I? It's only when the Holy Spirit works on the heart of an individual that they come to this conclusion... that someone can actually believe this. So the implications are this. Recognizing who Jesus is does not start with philosophy. It's not the result of logic. It's not even the end product of law. It is a conviction that God alone can give. Now, how important is it? Well, verse 18. And I also say to you that you are Peter, And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Now, one of the translations of this has led to, uh, uh, well, to not a very healthy process of church. The notion that, that the church is built on Peter, right? But I don't believe that's what this verse is saying. I think what this verse is saying is that the church is built on this confession The implications of that being, you become a Christian on the day you believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that is the foundation upon which the church is built. Build the church on anything else and it collapses under its own weight because nothing else is strong enough to hold it up. The foundation of Christianity is this confession that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, if that doesn't seem profound to us, it's because we don't understand it. It's because we're used to those words. But I challenge any one of you to stand up I don't really, I don't really want you to do that. I don't know how bold you are, but I challenge any one of you, hypothetically, let's say it that way, to prove to me without a doubt, first of all, that Jesus lived, secondly, that he was the Messiah, and third, that he was God's son. Well, you can point me to scripture, we could read. You could tell me stories. You could give a lot of evidence. My wife, in fact, is really good at this. She teaches a class about this at Advent Health University and lays out all of the pieces. There's been good books written on this. The Case for Christ is a great book. But at the end of the day, at the end of the evidence, at the end of the list, you must make a decision. Do you believe Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God? The day you believe it, you're Christian. Until you believe it, you're not. That's where it starts. Now, Seventh-day Adventism is built on that foundation, or at least it had better be built on that foundation, or else it falls down. And we have had our own versions of, of trying to build on different foundations throughout our time. We've, sometimes we, we stumble into trying to build it on law. Well, we don't turn out to be a very loving people when we do that, do we? There are other groups that have tried to build it on philosophy. But in the end, there's no solid ground underneath it to hold it all together. Now, how does this help us, this reality, help us in a practical way? Well, there's an interesting story in John chapter 11. And you might not have noticed this connection here, but John chapter 11, this is the story of Lazarus. And Jesus has tarried where he is. Lazarus and Mary and Martha are his good friends. And Jesus has stayed away. Lazarus gets sick. Lazarus dies. And then finally, Jesus comes back. And it's very confusing. Now, maybe, maybe you can relate to this. Why would Jesus let his friends die? Have you ever asked that question? See, it's still a real question in our lives, isn't it? It still happens now. One of the lessons we can learn from this story is just because you're best friends with Jesus doesn't mean you're not going to have trials in this life. But the other thing that comes out in this story is if you will be faithful in your trials, it may very, very well work out that God will use that thing that in your life seems like the worst possible reality to create a transformational story. And you might have the privilege through your trial of bringing people to faith. But we go to this story, John chapter 11, and we begin reading in verse 21. Jesus has come and Martha went out. It says, Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Well, let's go even further with that we have evidence from the stories Jesus wouldn't even have had to been there would he because we know stories from the bible where Jesus healed someone that wasn't even there Lord if you had been here my brother would not have died but even now I know that whatever you ask of God God will give here give you Jesus said to her your brother will rise again Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Now let's pause there again for a second. So here's Martha interacting with Jesus. And you can see in her response, she's pretty schooled in her theology. She has a theology of the end time. She has a theology of her resurrection. Jesus says, your brother will rise again. Well, I know he will rise again in the last day. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Now, here's the thing. I've read that lots of times. And I'm pretty sure I believe it, but I'm not completely sure I understand it. On the one hand, he's saying, if you live and die, you'll live again. But if you believe, you'll never die. Do you believe? Okay. Yes, I think so. Do you know what Martha's answer is here? Martha doesn't say, yes, Lord, I understand all these things perfectly. She doesn't go there. Listen to what she says, verse 27. She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe. Now do you see the construct? You are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. It's the same thing Peter said. Now, she doesn't say, I understand. She doesn't say, I get it. This life makes sense. She doesn't say any of that. She says, you know what? I don't know about all of that. All I know is you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. And what I want to suggest to you is when life doesn't make sense, that's your answer. That's what you hang on to. Because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Jesus is the way, the truth. Jesus is all of these things. And even if it's not making sense to us, we go back to this foundation point of faith. In that moment of crisis, she went all the way back to the foundation. Said, I don't understand why he died. I don't understand why you didn't come here. I don't understand what you just said. But I do know you are the Christ, the Son of God. And that's where I'm standing because that's all I've got. That's all we've got. Now, we know the story goes on and, and miraculously, Lazarus is called forth and lives again. But you know what? He's not still alive. You ever think about that part of the story? Because if he was, we'd know about it, right? He died again, as did all of the ones Jesus raised throughout his ministry. Awaiting that day Martha spoke about that final resurrection. So this, this reality, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, This is the identity statement of Jesus. This is who he is. And this is a very important point. Now, even Jesus himself had to experience this. So I take you to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. It says then, Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized him. And John tried to prevent him saying, I need to be baptized by you and you are coming to me. But Jesus answered and said to him, permit it to be so now for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. Now watch what happens here. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water and behold, the heavens were open to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Do you know what's happening here? Jesus is, be- is being given his identity. See, the Christ, the Messiah, means the anointed one. And how are we anointed? We're anointed by the Holy Spirit. So what is happening here at the baptism, he goes down in the water, he comes up, and the Holy Spirit anoints him. And he becomes the Christ, the Messiah. And then a voice from who? From the Father. Do you remember what he said to Peter? Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. The Father himself reveals in that moment, you are my son from that point on, the identity of Jesus is established. He is the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, it's always been true, but in this moment, the Father reveals it to Jesus clearly. Now, why does this matter? Well, you know what happens in the very next chapter? Chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights afterward, he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, what did he say? If you are the son of God, if you are who you say you are, make these stones become bread. Do you see what the challenge is here? The challenge is a core challenge to his identity. This is the same challenge we face. Because the world will continually come to you when you want to believe Jesus is the Christ and they'll say to you, prove it. Prove it. And it's awful tempting to try to do it, isn't it? And I'm sure it was tempting for Jesus in this moment. But what did Jesus do? Verse 4, But he answered him, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And the devil will go again and say, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down and even quote scripture to him. But you see, Jesus had to hang on to that identity, even in the face of temptation. And he does, he hangs on to it. Matthew chapter 26. We talked about the middle of the story of Jesus where, where Peter confesses him. We talked about the beginning of the story of Jesus where he's given his identity and then it's challenged by the devil. Now look at this. This is at the end, just before he's crucified. Matthew chapter 26, verse 59 Now the chief priests and elders and all the council sought false testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. Even though many false witnesses came forward, they found none. But at last two false witnesses came forward and said, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. And the high priest arose and said to him, Do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you? But Jesus kept silent And the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Now I want to pause there for a second. They've been throwing out all these accusations at him. You said this, you did that, you did the other thing. But Jesus doesn't answer any of it. But watch what happens here. But Jesus kept silent and the high priest answered, verse 63, and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us, what does he challenge him on? Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. The high priest is challenging him on his core identity. Jesus cannot not answer this. Verse 64, Jesus said to him, It is as you said. Nevertheless, I say to you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. So Jesus says, yes, I am this. So on the one hand, Peter realizes this, and in that moment, the foundation of what it means to be Christian is laid. You confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. On that day, you become Christian. But it also does something else. You see, this claim, you either believe and become Christian or you don't believe. Now watch what happens to you when you don't believe. Verse 65, then the high priest tore his clothes, saying, he has spoken blasphemy. What further need have we of witnesses? Look, now you have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They answered and said, He is deserving of death. Then they spat in his face and beat him, and others struck him with the palms of their hands, saying, Prophesy to us, Christ, who is the one who struck you. Doesn't that seem like an innocent little phrase, you are the Christ, the Son of God, yet do you see what a divisive word that is? And if you carry that word outside of this place, you got to be careful where you say it, don't you? Because there are people who will become hostile. The very same faith that the Christian church was built on, this belief that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, was the reason the priest condemned him to death. It's easy to get confused sometimes as to what Christianity is. We can get caught up in the arguments of the day and in the the practical outworkings of the faith or arguments over theology or the place of law. And there's a place for all those discussions. But none of them is the core. Paul addresses this in the first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 1, beginning in verse 22. He says this, for Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness, but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks... Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So what's taking place here? What Paul is talking about is it's awful tempting to try to use wisdom and logic to talk people into Jesus. Now there's a place for evidence and detail but you're never going to talk anybody into it. And then there's always the temptation, even in our own lives, (laughs) that if God would just do a miracle, then I would believe. But the suggestion of Paul here is, no, it's neither of those things. The core of the faith is a conviction in your heart from the Holy Spirit divinely given you by the Father himself that is an unshakable faith that a man who lived 2,000 years ago named Jesus was the Messiah of prophecy and the Son of God. You can't prove it with signs. You can't prove it with logic. Sure, God does things to open the way. Yes, there are reasonable arguments for it. But to believe it only the Holy Spirit. So you see any time someone comes to faith it's a miracle. And we should always be looking for the miracle. We share. We say what we can. We ask for God to reveal himself. Yes, we do all of those things. But let's not forget the power of the gospel is not in our programming, not in our buildings, not in our activities. It's in the power of the Holy Spirit to convict the the hearts of individuals. So profound is this whole idea that you get to the end of the book of John. John chapter 20, verse 30. Says, and truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written, why? That you may believe what? Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. So is your faith built on this? If you start with any other foundation, when trouble comes, your faith will crumble. If you start with law, you'll be a legalist. If you start with miraculous signs, you'll never see enough. But once you've laid this foundation, this precious cornerstone, then you can build your life of faith. So what do you believe? Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. I continue to struggle to understand the fullness. But for me, there is no other truth deeper than this.